Talking history. This is News Talk. We shall fight on the beaches. We shall fight in the hills. We shall never surrender. And out of that silence came thousands of voices. The strategy of the white man has always been divide and conquer. As one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. Aukteroin, Argus, Akoiza. Good evening and welcome. We're talking history on News Talk 106 to 108 with me, Patrick Gagan. In tonight's show, we're looking at the history of the most famous film awards in the world, the Oscars. And we'll be finding out about the highs, the lows, the triumphs and the controversies of the Academy Awards. You can email us your thoughts and views, talkinghistory at newstalk.com and we'd love to hear from you. Last week, we debated the life and legacy of Stalin and explored how he is remembered today. And if you want to listen back to this or to any of our older shows, just go to to the News Talk app powered by Go Loud, our website, newstalk.com, or wherever you download your podcasts. The most famous film awards in the world will be given out tonight in Hollywood with the 95th Academy Awards, better known as the Oscars. The first award ceremony took place in 1929, hosted by Douglas Fairbanks, and they were broadcast on radio the following year. I'm about to present this award to a person who's very well known to you. I'm going to ask her to come out and meet you, Miss Norma Sherriff. Norma, you were nominated by the Actors' Branch of the Academy, in other words, by your fellow players, to receive this award for the outstanding performance by an actress for the past year because of your fine work in The Divorcee. This nomination made by the Actors' Branch was later voted on by the entire membership of the Academy, consisting of seven or eight hundred active persons in the motion picture industry. And it is their will that you receive this award for the outstanding performance by an actress for the year 1930, for your work in The Divorcee. Thank you. I'm very thankful to my fellow workers for the great honors they've bestowed upon me. In taking this award, I feel I'm sharing it with the directors and the writers and the fellow actors whose encouragement made possible whatever degree of success I may have attained. I should like to uphold the position of my sex, but... uh, For once, a woman is at a loss for words to tell you just what this statue means to me. In encouragement, inspiration, and gratitude. And then on television for the first time in 1953. The Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences 25th Annual Academy Awards. Now, ladies and gentlemen, you are looking west on Hollywood Boulevard. Perhaps population changes have swung the motion picture industry away from this historic street somewhat, but it will always remain a little bit of nostalgia and memory, something like 42nd Street and Broadway. Here are the stands, and there is the marquee. And down there in front of the theater, a group of people still coming in, Tony Curtis and Janet Lee, Margin Gower champion, Leslie Caron and her husband, Mr. Hormel. Here in the Pantages tonight is the world's most glamorous audience, nearly 3,000 strong, all waiting to see the Oscars handed out, and almost all are either rooting for friends or keeping their fingers crossed for themselves. Over its long history, there has been much controversy and criticism in terms of who has been nominated, who has won, problems with diversity, and debates over the reliability and accuracy of the awards. The Academy Award for Best Picture. You're awesome. <laughs> Come on. La La Land. La La Land has 14 Oscar nominations this year. It's the love of my life, my family, my mom, papa, Jeff. Homage vous adore. Matt Pluff, you kicked this off. And Damien Chazelle, we're standing on your shoulders. We lost, by the way, but, you know. I'm sorry. No, there's a mistake. Moonlight, you guys won Best Picture. This is not a joke. This is not a joke. I'm afraid they read the wrong thing. This is not a joke. Moonlight has won Best Picture. Moonlight, Best Picture. 
And yet, despite all the controversies, millions of people around the world follow the results with interest. And this year, of course, there is added Irish interest with the nominations of two Irish films. So, to discuss the highs and lows of the Oscars, the successes as well as the slaps, I'm delighted to welcome our panel of experts. Dr. Con Holohan is Director of the Centre of Creative Technologies at the University of Galway and he's the author of Cinema on the Periphery, Contemporary Irish and Spanish Cinema. Dr. Gwenda Young is a lecturer in film studies at University College Cork and is an expert on American cinema and she's the author of Clarence Brown, Hollywood's Forgotten Master. Dr. Aaron Hunter is a teaching fellow in film studies at Trinity College Dublin and his books include Polly Platt, Hollywood Production Design and Creative Authorship and his edited collection Women and New Hollywood will be published later this year. Sinevo Flynn is the head of Irish Film Programming at the Irish Film Institute, the IFI, and she's put together a wonderful montage and collection of Irish short films nominated for Academy Awards, which you can find on the IFI website. Well, you are all very welcome. And Con, I might begin with you. And I might begin with, with maybe a, a, a question critical of the Oscars, the Academy Awards. Do they still matter Given everything that's happened and when you look back on the list of winners and the the people who didn't win in particular years, is it even worth taking the Academy Awards seriously? Um, I think, well, whether it's worth taking them seriously is perhaps a slightly different question as to whether they still matter. I think, you know, one of the one of the issues that the Oscars is perennially contending with is declining viewing figures and this anxiety that the award, the films that get nominated are detached from the films that people actually go to see. But that, in a sense, has been an issue that the Oscars has kind of wrestled with throughout its history. I think when you look at the amount of energy devoted by the film studios to getting their films and their performers nominated for the Oscars, it would suggest it still matters to them to some extent. But I think it really matters for uh, small films, films from places like Ireland, where, uh, you know, an Oscar nomination can really bring attention, global attention to the film in a way that it wouldn't otherwise a film like Tar, for example, to take one of this year's nominees. And it remains also, of course, an opportunity for Hollywood to to slap itself in the back and um, tell itself how great it is at making movies. And Con, when you look at the list of famous winners and maybe people who've missed out, you know, there's always a, a criticism thrown at the Academy Awards that Alfred Hitchcock was never nominated for any of his films. It was only, I think, an honorary award he received. Stanley Kubrick, I think, only ever won for some special effects for 2001 and not for his his brilliant direction. You know, even looking at, uh, I think it was the 1995 awards, Forrest Gump, you know, swept the board there. And the Oscar goes to Tom Hanks and Forrest Gump. Thank you. I'm I'm standing here uh, in lieu of my fellow nominees who are just as deserving, if not more so, of this moment. Uh, I'm standing here because of an army of people who, over the course of uh, a backbreaking schedule that was set by Bob Zemeckis, <laughs> who worked much harder than I did and had much more at risk if our, success, if our efforts were not successful. I'm empowered to stand here thanks to the ensemble of actors, men and women, who I shared this screen with, who in ways that they will never understand made me a better actor. Looking back on it, I think most people would have thought that Pulp Fiction was the really innovative film of 1994 or um, Shawshank Redemption, possibly the most loved film as time has gone on. There is an awful lot of times when they seem to get things very wrong. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, I think ultimately the Oscars and the, the Academy is quite a conservative organisation. And, and we see that repeatedly at... You know, there have been times when when it has, and I'm sure we'll talk about this a little later, when if we look at for the 1970s, for example, when when all of a sudden these really exciting, innovative films are being awarded. But yeah, throughout its history, you can see, you know, examples. I mean, one of I think one of the notorious examples is um, from 2006 when Crash, which to my mind is one of is probably the worst film ever to win Best Picture, was awarded it over Brokeback Mountain, where you know, Brokeback Mountain had had all the momentum in the previous awards running up to the Oscars. And then the feeling was it just that when it came to crunch, 
the academy uh, members couldn't handle the the, the narrative of, of two gay cowboys or shepherds as they actually were. But, um, you know, so ultimately, you know, the, the academy, the, the, the voters are this large group of largely aging white men for a large proportion of its, its, its uh, history who have, you know, had perhaps the kind of taste that you might expect that group to have. So, yeah, I mean, we can look back and find all sorts of, of examples of, you know, Rocky, for example, winning in 1976 over films that, that were much more interesting and innovative. Um, I, and on the flip side, then you see the critique of, of the Oscars that, well, you know, they, they're not awarding um, films that have actually resonated with the audiences. So it comes back to the question of, of what the Oscars is and what's it for. And that goes right back to the to the to the founding of the Academy and the founding of the Academy Awards. Like in the first ever year, there were two awards, one for best picture and one for best artistic production. So what is the relationship between the awards, you know, commercial success and the idea of innovation. And Con, you've actually worked in the archives of the Academy in Beverly Hills. What are they like and what kind of material uh, did you find? Oh, well, I mean, the, the, the Margaret Herrick Library in Beverly Hills is just such an amazing place. I think it's, it's one of my favourite places to be in the world. It's, um, it's where so many of the repository, the archives from the studios, from, from individual actors and from, from directors, producers, etc., have, have left their their papers there. Um, it's a beautiful room. I've, I've gone in to do research. I'm, I'm working on a book in 1930s and 1940s Hollywood, but it's very easy to just get distracted and spend time reading, you know, memos written from Alfred Hitchcock to his screenwriter. Uh, and just just to get lost in the, the pleasures of, of kind of being back in that period. But yes, the, there's a the wealth of information that they have preserved is so valuable for film researchers. They've they've also got an amazing uh, oral history collection where they they conducted oral history interviews with, you know, a range of film professionals um, who've been working across the history of Hollywood cinema. So there's this this incredible collection of information there that that film researchers can draw on. There's so much stuff there. I mean, some of the stuff that I found the most fun, you know, was, you know, again, even you'd find little thing. One one of the things that can be really interesting is the daily memos that get sent back and forth between producers and directors that you can find in these collections. Um, and for example, there was one camera shot in a Betty Davis film from 1939. There's an endless series of memos back and forth about how this camera shot should be constructed. And for someone like myself trying to, you know, when you're writing about a film, you find something like that, you find the actual, you know, the moment where the producer and director are debating whether this camera shot is too expensive, that stuff is just like gold dust. So yeah, it's it's such a wonderful repository. So it just shows, you know, the things that the Academy do apart from the awards. And and again, that goes right back to their history. They have had a remit that is larger than, ju- than just the awards. It's about, um, you know, developing the, the industry. And Con, before we go any further, who exactly is in this Academy? What do we mean when we talk about the Academy? Uh, well, so when you go back to um, you know its founding in the in the in the late nineteen twenties, there were it, it was by invite only. So there were originally there were two hundred and thirty members, and they were most you know directors, producers, actors, writers, and the, there were five categories to begin with: uh, directors, producers, actors, writers, and technicians. And so yeah, it, it was invite only. Over the years, that now, it, that's now up to about ten thousand. So to become a member of the academy. Uh, you you either have to be nominated in a in a competitive category or be be nominated by by two members of the academy existing members of the academy so it's made up of essentially film professionals um who 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 work in the industry Suniva, the archival dimension is fascinating, isn't it, in terms of the records you have in Hollywood and then I suppose the records that we have as well. It is, of course, Patrick, and I haven't had the pleasure of visiting uh, the archive there like Con has. Um, but I mean, the fact is that the, the glitz and glamour of the awards ceremony um, might appear to be wildly extravagant, but in fact, it goes to fund uh, the various activities of the Academy, like the archive, the library, film conservation, studied centres, student awards and so on. So not only are there uh, paper documents that, that Con has enjoyed researching, but there are film archives too. So any films that are nominated or that win awards would be archived within the Academy Film Archive. Um, and we have had uh, the, the, the pleasure of accessing some of that material material, um, acquiring 
copies for our own collections. So, for example, Louis Marcus's films, Portia Gubber and Conquest of Light, the Academy Archive approached us um, for elements to create a copy of, of Conquest of Light for their collection and then returned a copy to us. Um, so it's, it's a marvellous collection, but not only do they have, it's not exclusively uh, uh, Academy nominated films, but there would also be other feature films. So more recently, a fascinating film called Blarney, that, that's a, a comedy vehicle for Jimmy O'D about the Irish border. And um, we had support from the Academy Archive in um, uh, finding elements of that film there. So it's 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 an incredible resource. Uh, it would be a leading member of FIAF, the uh, International Federation of Film Archives, as are we. We would be the the, the Irish Film Institute would, Archive would be the, the Irish member. So we're a great uh, international network of people concerned with with conservation. But you know we find various sources of funding, and the the, the fancy award ceremony is one way of funding the preservation activities. And do the Academy Awards matter for you in the Film Institute or is it really there's a certain pride when Irish films get nominated and your own expertise in the short films uh, but I suppose your remit goes beyond just the ones nominated. Yeah, uh, it, it does, of course, matter. Yeah, and it you know it brings attention to the existence of an Irish film film history um, and we you know within our collection that you'll see on our player um, we can be a little bit um, porous or permeable in our definition of Irish so we would um, you know include in films that might not strictly have been Irish produced but um, Irish theme films but you know I, I think that kind of attention, that kind of international attention from the most prestigious awards in the world um, is is useful for viewers, you know, so they can find channels to uh, what is choice within our collection. So, yeah, it, it does matter. And certainly for contemporary filmmakers when they have nominations and awards, you know, the knock-on effects for them, you know, in terms of future funding for their work and so on uh, is enormously important. And Con, the actual award itself how did it get the name Oscar? Who designed it, and why did they go for that particular design? Well, who named it is a, is a subject of some debate. Um, a couple of different people have claimed it. Famously, uh, Betty Davis claimed uh, that she nicknamed it Oscar because it was uh, it, his his the, the statue's rear end looked like that of her husband, Harmon Oscar Nelson. Uh, I think possibly the 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 explanation is that um, the uh, a woman called Margaret Herrick, who was the Academy librarian for after whom the the archive um, is named, said that uh, the, it looked like her uncle Oscar. So the statue had been designed by Cedric Gibbons, who was a art director at MGM Studios um, and one of the sort of most I guess famous art directors from the classical. Hollywood period and he uh, he his credits were on I don't even know if I can count the number of films his credits are on but he he would have been essentially the head of the the art direction um, aspect of, of MGM Studios so essentially he oversaw the production design on on basically every film that that was made at MGM over the the, the 20s and 30s and was very much associated with the MGM sort of art deco style which was uh recurred the, these these fantastic art deco apartments and dresses that you see recurring in mgm films of the 20s and 30s and the MG, mgm was the studio that was the richest wealthiest studio the studio that with the highest level of production design and so famously he apparently sketched the uh over the so the idea of the academy academy was was um thought up by by louis b, b. mayor the the head of mgm over at dinner one night and and cedric gibbons apparently sketched on the back of a napkin the Oscar uh, statue and uh, so yeah so that's that's where it came from and apparently that's where the the name came from either Betty Davis or or um, as you said um, Margaret Herrick and then these famous stories of people uh, leaving their Oscar in the bathroom, you know, kind of to show uh, how relaxed they are. But of course, that's the room where everyone will be visiting. So you definitely make sure all your guests see it. Uh, then, Suniva, it is a fascinating background. It is. And Cedric Gibbons is one of ours. He was born in Dublin. So uh, he, he was, you know, one of our most multiply uh, nominated uh, Oscar people. Wow, wonderful. Another Irish connection. And Aaron, it is interesting then when you look at that development, how it becomes, I suppose, something that actors, directors, people involved in, in movie making want to win. Yeah, of course. Um, I mean, it can uh, change an actor or director's career. It can change their access to, you know, future filmmaking possibilities. It certainly increases their 
the amount of money that they're going to make in, in future careers, et cetera. And it's, I mean, it's the oldest existent film award in the world. And regardless of, you know, some of the questions you and Con were talking about earlier, how relevant it may or may not be, just the history of it, we're coming up on, we're a few years away from 100 years and being part of that tradition, being, you know, part of winning an Oscar, like, you know, Olivia de Havilland won Oscars and John Ford won Oscars and being part of all of that alone is enough for, you know, directors, actors, screenwriters, uh, cinematographers, uh, short documentary makers that can change their careers completely, animators, all kinds of people like that, yeah. And Aaron, one of the movies that John Ford, of course, won for was How Green uh, Was My Valley. You shouldn't be here. I couldn't spend another night without knowing what has happened. Is anything wrong? Wrong? You know what I mean. Why have you changed towards me? Why am I a stranger now? Have I done anything? Famously beat Citizen Kane for uh, the best film Oscar. Orson Welles had to settle for uh, uh, sharing the screenplay award. And again, that's one that people would look at and say, you know, probably got it wrong. You might, you might, you can argue about whether Citizen Kane is the greatest movie of all time or not. But, you know, if it can't even beat How Green Was My Valley and <laughs> pretty much I'd say no one watches that anymore, it, it shows maybe a conservatism from the early days. I think that conservatism's been there. I think Hollywood also, the Academy, is about managing its own reputation and managing the perception of the Academy and Hollywood and what makes, what people think of Hollywood and what Hollywood wants to appear to have responded to. And so they would be willing, I would guess, to give Orson Welles some recognition for Citizen Kane. But at the same time, John Ford was, you know, one of the key directors in in Hollywood. I I actually, uh, to go back to what Khan was saying about archives, uh, I was visiting the Peter Bogdanovich archives when I was writing the Polly Platt book in Indiana. And there's also a John Ford archive there. And they were polishing his Oscars. And I got to hold the How Green Was My Valley Best Director Oscar. So that's my one brush with Oscar fame there. <laughs> and they're meant to be quite heavy. They are heavy and you're surprised because you walk up to it and, and you grab it and it's like lifting weights or something like that. Yeah. And they won't allow you now to sell them. I think they have some legal stipulation that the Academy can buy them back for a dollar so it, it, to, to stop people trying to, uh, to commercialise them. That's right. And a few of the people who have been kicked out of the Academy over the last 20 years that's the reason that they've been they've been expelled is for trying to sell their Oscars or give away their Oscars outside that legal system of selling it back to them for a dollar. And Gwenda, the Academy Awards always seem to have had a problem with race. Hattie McDaniel was the first African-American to win an award. That was for her role as Mammy in Gone with the Wind. I present the Academy Award for the best performance of an actress in supporting roles during 1939 to Hattie Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Science, fellow members of the motion picture industry and honored guests. This is one of the happiest moments of my life. And I want to thank each one of you who had a part in selecting me for one of the awards. For your kindness, it has made me feel very, very humble. And I shall always hold it as a beacon for anything that I may be able to do in the future. I sincerely hope I shall always be a credit to my race and to the motion picture industry. My heart is too full to tell you just how I feel. And may I say thank you. But even there, you know, there were, there were, there were issues in terms of her being in a segregated area in the, in, at the awards ceremony. So it's something that the Academy has had a problem with from, from the start. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it was just a reflection of the way that Hollywood approached issues of race and really the exclusion of black characters of any significance or or the relegation of them into caricatures. Um, You know, it's an important nomination and win for Hattie McDaniel. Uh, It took David Selznick all his effort to try to allow her to be 
present at the ceremony because the ceremony at that time was hosted in um, the Coconut Grove in, in the Ambassador Hotel. You know, you weren't you weren't supposed to be there unless you were working there. So Clark Abel offered to boycott the Atlanta premiere of Gone with the Wind because it was a segregated theatre. Um, but Hattie McDaniel's win was, was hugely significant and she gave a very dignified speech. But her own win was divisive for, for her own community. Many people were quite resentful of her taking on a role. Um, but within her own community, there was, you know, there was both admiration for her and pride, but there was also some, some reservation. You know, that's a kind of a standout award that she gets. Gone with the 1939 to 1940 awards. Then after that, there's very few nominations. So you've got almost, you know, almost 20 years you get Juanita Moore being nominated at the end of the 1950s for Imitation of Life, but not winning. And it really takes into the 1960s for another nomination to come through, which is Sidney Poitier for Lilies of the Field, and he wins it this time. The winner is Sidney Poitier. Oh, that's a, it's a very special thank you. And, you know, that was for a kind of a, a very staid type of film. It was, a, a, again, reflecting the conservatism of the Academy and indeed the Hollywood industry in terms of how they represented people of colour. Um, and even, even for example, when uh, West Side Story won, the lead actor there found that she was typecast still, you know, that she was still getting uh, the kind of stereotypical roles there as a woman of colour. So, yeah, it's, it's certainly it's been a very long time and they're obviously now trying to, to make up for that and, and they're trying to be much more inclusive. I was doing research there, but I went to the new museum that they have and the museum has a wonderful exhibition about black filmmaking um, and really opened my eyes to all the variety there. But, of course, these, these were filmmakers who were excluded from the main industry. And, Gwenda, you often see someone missing out for a role where... Afterwards, people say they definitely should have won for that. But mm. then the Academy tries to write that and they yeah. win either the next year or a few years later yeah. for a role that probably they were nowhere near as good in. I, I'm, you know, yeah. uh, they say it about uh, Denzel Washington. Jennifer Connell even probably should have won for Requiem for a Dream, but won for A Beautiful Mind. You know, yeah. Al Pacino should definitely have probably won something for Godfather 1 or 2. Uh, any of his great 70s movies, but he eventually wins for Scent of a woman yeah. you know there is a lot yeah. of kind of they try to write things out and it's almost like a sentimental award oh absolutely and i think that probably the most famous of that is um betty davis and you know betty davis gave a performance in of human bondage in the early 1930s and she didn't get the award and everybody was expecting her to get the award and she didn't get it and the following year she got an award for a film which was even by her own admission was quite mediocre um, but it was it was a case of kind of making it up but then in terms of just who has been overlooked just in terms of the, the nominations and the awards that directors and actors have got it's amazing you mentioned their Al Pacino and we think about all his seminal performances in Serpico for example and Dog Day Afternoon and, and Godfather and yet a pretty mediocre film um, and possibly not his best performance in Scent of a Woman before he actually gets uh, gets his award and, and the, the, the Academy has a, has a reputation for that it has, a, has kind of form in that because the most famous is probably Hitchcock being overlooked um, you know he gets nominated several times I think it's five times as best director he doesn't win and eventually then they give him an honorary Oscar uh, so they do t tend to do that quite a lot um, and you'll see you'll see a whole list of people that is surprising like Henry Fonda for example who you would imagine would have been given a lot more awards, but it actually took until on Golden Pond in the 80s for him to finally be recognized. Um, and I think that was seen to be, you know, it's always been seen to be, it's almost like a death wish. Once you get your honorary Oscar, you're kind of either you're very sick or, or you know, there's, there's, a, there's a sense that you've been overlooked for so many years that they, they're kind of embarrassed by that. Well, tonight is Oscars night and tonight on Talking History, we are looking at the history of the Oscars, the Academy Awards. We're going to take a quick break now. When we come back, I'll be talking to my panel of experts about some of the greatest winners throughout the history of the awards as well as some of the controversies so stay with us here on News Talk.
Well, welcome back to Talking History as we look at the history of the Oscars. I'm rejoined by my panel of experts, Dr. Con Holhan, Director of the Centre for Creative Technologies at the University of Galway, Dr. Gwenda Young of University College Cork, Dr. Aaron Hunter of Trinity College Dublin and Suniva O'Flynn of the Irish Film Institute. Aaron, talking about great winners, Catherine Hepburn has won four Academy Awards. Uh, I don't know if she would be now considered, you know, the greatest actress of all time. but certainly I think had a very significant distinguished career I don't think anyone would challenge Daniel Day-Lewis with his three best uh, acting awards but I think it's not the awards that you know we would still think he was a great actor even if he had no awards because he's so compelling in whatever he plays and uh, it's it's so incredible the way he masters those roles that when we look at the, the lists of winners do do we make the mistake of associating that with greatness? <laughs> That's a great question. Um, I, I think there could be different answers to that depending on the categories. Certainly, when we think about acting and what we consider great performances, it has changed over time. People don't act today like Catherine Hepburn acted. And sometimes I find when I'm showing older films to my students, one of the barriers to their enjoyment of the films is that kind of, you know, the mid-Atlantic accent and the very clip delivery and this sort of thing. Uh, When we look at performances like Catherine Hepburn's, um, we can recognize their greatness, uh, but also see how the the profession has changed. And I I think it'd be similar with directors, certainly with how we think about cinematography and editing, just because the style has changed so much the way the camera moves, the way editing has changed from these sort of long and more stately shots to rapid editing and and things like that. But I think, like, to go back to what you said about Daniel Day-Lewis, I don't know how his career might have been different if he hadn't won early in his career for my left foot. That was a huge win. And at the time, he beat Tom Cruise, who was sort of his, it was his one shot in his career for uh, Born on the Fourth of July. And I remember watching that ceremony, and a lot of my friends were convinced that Tom Cruise was going to win because they had no idea who Daniel Day-Lewis was. They had no idea what My Left Foot was or anything about it. It's indicative, I think, of maybe what the broader film-watching community might have thought about Daniel Day-Lewis at the time, which was probably not very much. And yes, he had these great performances in uh, Room with a View and other things like that. But winning that Oscar, I'm sure, put his career on a different trajectory than maybe, I mean, who can say for sure, but maybe it would have if he hadn't won. And imagine how Tom Cruise's career might have been different if he had won. And the same with Tom Hanks. I remember when Tom Hanks was seen as a bit right. of a, a joke a actor. Comedy a comedy guy. comedy guy. Yeah. And, you know, not very good roles and not yep. very impressive. But then he suddenly won an award. He won more awards. And yeah, two in a row. Now he's seen as one of the great actors of our time. Yeah, that's right. And I think, I mean, he was making a conscious decision at the time to change the trajectory of his career, I think, and take on these more sort of serious roles. Um, Although Forrest Gump straddles the line in a way that he's a straight man performing this somewhat comedic role. But Philadelphia certainly, I think, was unlike anything people expected from him or had seen before. And, And winning for that certainly endowed his career and the way people think about him with a kind of importance or gravitas that he didn't have when he was making Bachelor Party. (laughs) But that also kind of shows something that the Academy like or maybe sometimes fall for. They love to see an actor uh, doing something unexpected, uh, putting on weight for a role, looking different, uh, uh, going against type. And that seems to be something that that really makes them uh, uh, think this deserves an award. I think so. And you can see that this year with uh, the Brendan Fraser nomination. One of the places where uh, an Irish favourite has some competition because... Fraser could win this for the whale. This and year. Charlie's Thrawn won for Monster. Oh, sure. I mean, a, a lot of times these, some of these performances where they get overly made up, or in the case of Brendan Fraser, he's facing a little, not he maybe, but the production is facing a little backlash for 
um, wearing a fat suit when some people argue, you know, there are people who could have played that role that wouldn't need to wear a fat suit. And there's something about that that the Academy is reckoning with across the board in terms of who plays what kind of roles. But uh, and we might see more discussion around that in the future. But I, I mean, I think this year perhaps he still has a, a pretty good chance. And Suniva, there is always huge interest in any movie or person who has any kind of Irish connection. It might be a movie that is part Irish funding. We do seem to take, there's a, a certain amount of national pride. Like we know who we're cheering for tonight. We want the people involved in Banshees and on Colin Kuhn. And uh, uh, there is, there is no matter even if we might have the criticisms of the Oscars when it comes to the homegrown uh, nominations or uh, some kind of connection, because we do like to claim Daniel Zulu as well like we, we, we do follow them with a, an extra interest we do um, I mean God be with the days when we used to revel in our mediocrity but you know th- those days are gone and now the calibre of, of excellence that is being achieved in film um, is really notable and we are of course really proud of the achievements that have come through and you know the fact is that the Irish film industry is nurtured by um, state agencies like Screen Ireland and BAI and so on. So, you know, we're in a, a healthy place in many ways where good work is coming through. There's something very exciting about sitting up all night. And I think, you know, there's many people who would do that, whether or not there was Irish nominees, but they're, they're going to have great fun this year, I think. And we'll, we'll sit tight until four o'clock in the morning when the final... Uh, award comes through. Or just wake up in the morning and then have it all (laughs) instantly uh, presented before us. Gwenda, going back to the controversies, you know, I think one one thing that people certainly criticise the awards for, and it is linked to uh, some of the the Me Too, some of the controversies like Me Too, when you look at the campaigning that Miramax and Harvey Weinstein did, was there there can be a lot of... uh, very strong campaigns to press the the merits of a particular movie and they can be very successful even if they don't deserve such such accolades. John Wayne's opus, The Alamo, um, back in 1960, you know, he ran a campaign to really almost bully voters into nominating the film for multiple awards. And one of his stars, Chilled Wills, uh, also ran a similar kind of campaign, really canvassed heavily. And it did seem to backfire. Um, it did get nominations, but it didn't get very many awards. Politics or, or influencing votes, um, that sometimes the voters you know, will, will turn against that. And I know that Gregory Peck at one stage was the president of, of the Academy, and he tried to put a curb on that influencing of sending out gifts and so on. But it continues on. I mean, it continued on, as, as I said, through, through, as you mentioned, Weinstein's years of, of Miramax, where, you know, courting uh, the voters was very, very much part of the game. Movies like Shakespeare in Love winning lots of awards and not really standing the test of time. Yeah. Um, sometimes they're very worthy films. Sometimes they're very much, you know, seemingly on uh, on on the kind of zeitgeist. Maybe they don't date so well. And, and, you know, Shakespeare in Love is a good example of the kind of the Miramax effect of that time. And of course now, it's for all different reasons, but it, it is now, of course, a little bit overshadowed um, but yeah, that's always been, I mean, whether films that win Oscars are really the true classics, looking back in the history of, of the Oscars, if we look at some of the, the films that I teach, and I'm sure Aaron and Zaneva and Khan teach, they're not necessarily the films that win Oscars. Um, you know, the great gangster films, for example, the lack of any kind of nominations for gangster films is interesting. Um, the overlooking of people like James Cagney until quite late in his career the overlooking of, of, for example, Westerns, which you would think would be very much uh, part of, of Oscar history, but really are very underrepresented in, in the awards over the years. So, yeah, sometimes winning an Oscar doesn't necessarily mean that it's the greatest picture that we'll all continue to teach and be part of popular culture for, for years to come. And it shows that there's a certain type of movie and a certain mm. type of performance that can really yeah. tick all of the boxes of what they seem to be looking for. Especially in the early years of the, the Oscars, you know, this just reminds everyone that the, the, the Academy and the Oscars are set up to improve and to clean up the reputation of Hollywood. And so, you know, Louis V. Mayer it was really one of the driving forces of, of the establishment of the Academy. And, and, and to, part of that was the Oscars, mainly to kind of give, you the, give, give his workers a, a feeling of being included, 
even as he kind of exploited them. So it really is a trade thing. You know, it's a it's it's a way of keeping people under control to some extent. Um, but the films that won were often films that were very respectable and that were seen to be art. Um, so it was kind of part of this that there was a desperation almost that Hollywood would be able to be seen as as uh, creators of art, not just crass entertainment. I mean, even the very first Oscars that were put put out in 1929, uh, there was an award for an outstanding picture of artistic merit, and that was Sunrise. But alongside that was a more popular choice, which was Wings. So that even in the early days, you've got that sense of trying to, to meet this idea of we are making art, but also acknowledging the commercial and, and the entertainment. Con, what it really shows is that there is a huge amount of politics involved with the awards and that you can't really escape uh, the politics when you are looking at the history of it. No, absolutely. And obviously there are moments where that becomes, you know, very explicit and, and to the fore, like, for example, you know, around the time of the the, the, the HUAC, the, the, the House of Un-American Activities Committee and, and the blacklist where, you know, for example, there was, there's a, you know, there's a kind of embarrassing moment, perhaps you might say where um, two of the, the Hollywood 10 who had been um, blacklisted and had refused to testify before the before HUAC were then subsequently nominated uh, for Best Picture and Best Director at the 1947 Awards for, for Crossfire. Uh, so, um, you know, so often the Oscars and the, because it's such a visible part of the industry, you know, becomes this this place where where, where politics comes to, to the fore. The, the, the Academy actually enacted a rule in 1957 that no member, uh, no individual who had refused to cooperate or who had been blacklisted or had admitted membership of the Communist Party could be nominated for an Oscar, which kind of quite amusingly was dropped two years later when a certain Robert Rich won Best Original Story uh, in 1957, a category that doesn't actually exist anymore. And there was uh, articles in the newspaper asking for uh, Robert Rich to identify himself because it wasn't clear who Robert Rich was producers claimed it was somebody they'd met at an airport. Um, and uh, the uh, it turned out, of course, that uh, Robert Rich was, in fact, D- Dalton Trumbo, who had been blacklisted. And so um, this basically, he, he revealed himself two years later, just after the, the rule had been rescinded. So, um, yeah, so another, for example, another, there was an anxiety about bringing in an award for Best International film in the 40s or what what the best what became the best foreign language film because there was concern about whether what would happen if films from from behind the iron curtain were nominated and eventually when it was brought in 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 1956 the foreign film became a competitive category and in 1960 the the oscars proudly claimed that every country in the free world could nominate a, a film but there was some debate as to what constituted the free world because in the first sort of iteration it seemed that that included Russia but not Bulgaria for example so in the end they settled on the free world being everywhere except mainland China Albania and Hungary so um yeah we see these how how you know inevitably um politics intersects with the Oscars I, and I think you know it comes back to like for example we talked about films like Philadelphia and and one of the things what we I think when we see when 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 the Oscars sort of engage with contemporary politics it often does it in a way that is sort of delayed you might say so you know hollywood engages with the aids crisis in 1993 which is you know 12 years after the aids crisis begins and you know in in the aftermath of you know some really politically charged films that that were labeled new cinema in the early 90s that engaged with with AIDS and then we get Philadelphia which is a film involving two gay men who never actually express any physical affection for each other over the course of the film so it's it's a film uh, uh, involving gay characters that is specifically designed not to alienate straight viewers and that's the kind of film that the Oscars award um, you know, or reward, we should say. So, yeah, so, so, you know, or, or again, something like, I mean, I think the, probably the, one of the worst examples of this is Green Book, uh, and, uh, which is a film about racism, but it's a film about a white person essentially discovering that the American South is quite racist uh, in the 1950s. So, you know, so again and again, or, or a film like, say, Spike Lee's Do the Right Thing, 
doesn't get nominated in 1989, but Driving Miss Daisy, which is again is a much more palatable uh, engagement with race, wins Best Picture. Driving Miss Daisy, Richard Dizanek, Willie Tanisha. Thank you, Academy. We're up here for really one very simple reason, and that's the fact that Bruce Beresford is a brilliant director. So we see this again and again and again across across the the, the history of the Oscars. And Suniva, it does show that uh, it, it, that the controversies kind of sometimes can tend to overshadow it. Yeah, well, I, I just wanted to add a, a fun note um, that isn't too controversial, I hope, um, but further to Con's reference there to the foreign language films, uh, I think it's interesting for us to know that Louis Marcus's film Posh the Agobber was nominated for an award in 1973. Now, it appears in the Annals of the Academy as Children at Work, but I think the fact is that Colleen Kuhn is not quite the first Irish language film to have been nominated in the Irish language category, in the foreign language category. Very good. Aaron, you're an expert on the 1970s and we see some great controversies in the 1970s with George C. Scott not wanting to accept the nomination or the award for Patton. Marlon Brando uh, sends uh, someone to represent Native Americans when he when he wins for The Godfather in 1973. Then Scorsese uh, not winning at all in the 70s and having to wait for the 21st century to finally win for The Departed, yeah, in 2007. So, like, there are there are controversies and, and oversights in, in that decade of some of the best cinema of all time. Yeah, I think some of those controversies you mentioned are a little bit different in a way because they tend to be more about uh, recognition of Academy shortcomings by members. So when Marlon Brando sends Sasheen Littlefeather to accept the award for him uh, so that she can speak about the plight of Native Americans and their their marginalization, not just by the Academy, but by all of sort of American history. That's I don't think anyone thinks it's controversial that Brando won. No, for no, the Godfather. no, definitely. De- <laughs> although possibly should have been best supporting rather than yeah, best given the, that's the size a whole of the other role, question but, about which, how which, which studios but, determine. But that. but she gets booed on stage, and they and they only in, in recent years apologized for that. They did, I think, last year, six months before she passed away. They didn't really. like this politicizing. Accepting the award for Marlon Brando and the Godfather, Miss Sasheen Littlefeather. Hello. My name is Sasheen Littlefeather. I'm Apache, and I'm president of the National Native American Affirmative Image Committee. I'm representing Marlon Brando this evening, and he has asked me to tell you in a very long speech, which I cannot share with you presently because of time, but I will be glad to share with the press afterwards, that he very regretfully cannot accept this very generous award. And the reasons for this being are the treatment of American Indians today by the film industry, excuse me, and on television in movie reruns. It was, I mean, that was part of the era and it it happened... um repeatedly with performers, directors, making statements about Vietnam, making statements about, uh, in that case, Native Americans. It was a very politicized time. And the studios were going through upheaval at the time. They were being purchased by, you know, multinational conglomerations and who didn't always know anything about movies. So different people were running the studios. Uh, There was more briefly, and sometimes this is overstated, but more creative control by directors and screenwriters and, and actors as producers like Jane Fonda and people like that. So there was a sense in Hollywood, I don't want to overstate it, but I think it was quite dramatic that this art form could be used to convey um, you know, important messages. And a lot of the particularly performers, writers, and directors, uh, cinematographers, editors, the sort of artists of Hollywood supported a lot of that, whereas the the studios and the producers and sometimes the audience and the old guard, maybe, 
you know, the sort of classical Hollywood people who were still around uh, didn't support it as much. And they were the ones who tended to get upset about it. Well, tonight we are talking about the Oscars on Oscar night. We're going to take a quick break now. When we come back, we'll be exploring the impact of the awards and what it is like as a ceremony. So stay with us here on News Talk. Well, welcome back to Talking History as we debate the history of the Oscars. I'm joined by Dr. Con Holohan, Director of the Centre for Creative Technologies at the University of Galway, Dr. Gwenda Young of University College Cork, Dr. Aaron Hunter of Trinity College Dublin and Suniva O'Flynn of the Irish Film Institute. Con, when we look at the ceremony itself as entertainment, you know, there's so much focus on who's presenting in a particular year. It can be actually, I don't know, for me, it can be quite painful to watch it you know, bad jokes, bad scripts. Sometimes it is much better uh, to just wake up in the morning and just find out who won and who didn't. Absolutely. I'm thinking back, there was a torturous 11-minute opening song and dance number. I think it was 1989 with Rob Lowe and and another female performer that was where, where they started to go down and engage with the people sitting in the front row who looked just really uncomfortable. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, the Academy have been wrestling with the declining viewership. And that's why last year they took the the decision to, to, to not televise some of the awards, which then, of course, you know, is is deeply problematic itself because, of course, which awards not the ones that are not getting televised uh, tend to be the, the technical awards, etc., which then, you know, essentially remove the, the moment of, of 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 spotlight from from the people whose work is already sort of invisible to to the to the average um, cinema going audience. So, Aaron, given that tonight is Oscar nights, and I'm sure a lot of people listening on on podcast already know what happens, but <laughs> when we are looking at the Academy Awards, why do they matter, and why is it worth talking about them? Why is it worth remembering them? I think there are a lot of reasons to talk about the Oscars and remember them. And I would include other of the big film awards as well. But it's it's worth remembering that film, to me anyway, and I think to many people, is a, is a special art form that straddles this line, as, as Gwenda was talking about earlier, between art and commerce, between popularity and the ability to provoke our thinking about things, to provoke our feelings about things, and even if somewhat behind the times, to provoke our, our sentiments about political changes in the world and things like that. And the Oscars is, for better or worse, the biggest platform for celebrating that. And in doing so, it calls attention to, to lesser-known films, to lesser-known performers and artists. But it also celebrates, you know, big, beautiful, fun, heart-wrenching, sometimes silly films that, you know, some of us who are you know, deep in cynicism might not want to admit out loud, but we love sort of having our heartstrings plucked. And and that, I think, is, is worthy. That combination of all of those things makes the Oscars unlike any other film award and maybe unlike any other sort of awards show. Okay, well, I think that's a brilliant note on which to end our discussion tonight. My thanks to my wonderful panel of experts, Dr. Con Holohan, the Director of the Centre for Creative Technologies at University of Galway, Dr. Gwenda Young of University College Cork, Dr. Aaron Hunter of Trinity College Dublin and Suniva O'Flynn of the Irish Film Institute. Well, that does bring us to the end of another edition of Talking History. My thanks to my producer, Marisa Sullivan, to Shannon Murphy on research and to Peter Malloy on sound. We've got more debate and discussion next week, so hope you can join us then. We've been talking history. Good night.